last week we had three words. Uh, can anyone remember what the three words were that we had last week? Love was one of them. Pray was the second one. Serve. There they are. Pray, love, serve. And, and we made the point that this is what is involved in living the rest of our lives for the will of God. This is what's involved in living the rest of our lives for the will of God. Uh, for anyone who is visiting, we as a church have been reading First Peter on Sunday mornings for the past four months. And, and as the apostle comes near the end of this letter that he writes to Christians who are up against it because of their faith, Christians who are getting hassled because they follow Jesus, he urges and he encourages them to do these three things. He tells them, and as, as we kind of apply God's living word to ourselves, he tells us to pray. That in light of the fact that there is more to life than this, in light of the fact that this world, this, this is not our true home. In light of the fact that, as he said last week, if you were here, the end of all things is near. That is the next major event that's going to happen in God's storyline, and God's grand narrative. That in light of all of that, we should keep our heads and get on our knees. That we need to pray. That we can pray, and we, we've got to pray. And then secondly, he said, you've got to love above all. So in other words, this has got to become one of your praying concerns. Above all, love each other deeply. Christians have got to love each other. Do you know it's hard enough being a Christian out there without feeling got at or unloved in here? And so we need to look out for each other. We need to seek the best for each other. We need to see the best in one another we need to stand ready to forgive each other. So, so Peter says, above all, love each other. And then finally he says, serve. He says, every single one of you and every single one of you here this morning who follows Jesus has been gifted by our gracious God and therefore you must use your gift or gifts as faithful stewards in order to serve and build up the body of Christ. And so you speak and you serve to the, to the glory of God. So, Pray, love, serve. That's what it means, or certainly that, or those are three ways to live the rest of your life for the will of God. And so the question I asked last week, the question I asked this morning is, how are you doing? How are you doing? In those three areas. Where's the kind of weaknesses? What requires attention? If you have a Bible, would you please turn to 1 Peter chapter 4, and we're going to pick up from where we did leave off last week, which is the end of verse 11 of 1 Peter chapter 4, beginning of verse 12. As you look that up, Peter, as I said, he's reaching the conclusion of this letter. We're reaching the conclusion of this series. And so Peter returns to one of the key reasons he has for writing this letter, and that is the fact that his original readers, his target audience, were suffering. They were suffering for being Christians. And in this section that we're going to look at this morning, he makes the point, do you know something? Oh, oh, I've, have I turned that off? There we go. Oh, back one. Oh, back two. There we go. He makes the point that they shouldn't be surprised about this. That, that suffering's to be expected. It kind of goes with the territory. It's par for the course. But Peter goes further. 
He takes the challenge to a whole other level. Peter actually encourages his readers, his target audience, to rejoice about their suffering. The New Living Translation, this verse actually says, instead, instead of being surprised, because it shouldn't come as a surprise, instead of being surprised, New Living Translation, be very glad that you're suffering. Which not only sounds impossible, it just sounds mad. It sounds mad. As we get into this and dig a bit deeper, let's be very clear about something. The subject of suffering does run right through this letter. Anyone who's been reading this with us will know that. But what we're not talking about, what we're not dealing with is the problem of suffering in general. Like, like why is there so much suffering in our world? Why are some families ripped apart? Why do kids starve to death? Why are kids abused? Why do natural disasters wreck entire communities? And all those kind of questions. But you see, answering those kind of questions or even addressing those kind of questions, that, those are not Peter's concern. That, that's not the kind of suffering that he deals with. The suffering that Peter is talking about and writing into is the inevitable kind that comes as a result of following Jesus, of being a Christian. It's the hassle, it's the abuse, it's the social rejection, it's the public humiliation that Christians face because they are Christians, which is exactly the kind of suffering these first century Christians are having to live with and deal with. And here, as Peter approaches the end of the writing, he says, listen, don't be surprised about this. As if something strange is happening to you. Instead, rejoice. Now, before we explore Peter's words in a little detail, we've got to go back to something I said. Something that I shared a few weeks ago. I mentioned it again last week, and that is that we've got a problem with this. I, I no, let, let me, and I do personalize this, and I forgive me for doing that. I have a slight problem with this. Because I'm not sure I suffer for being a Christian in any real tangible way. I don't. If I was to ask you to stand this morning, if you have faced verbal abuse, social rejection, or public humiliation this week or last month because you're a Christian, because you follow Jesus, there would be some people stand. I wouldn't. I'm not sure if you would. And so as I come to this, as we come to this letter in the specific text, that I must confess, I struggle to make the connections. But what I am forced to do is I ask the question, why? Why? Why do I find it difficult to relate to this? Why do I not suffer for being a Christian as God's word says I will or says I should? Like, what do I do with 1 Peter 4, 12? Because maybe the real surprise that I should be surprised about is the fact I'm not suffering. <laughs> maybe that's the real surprise. Or what do I do with 2 Timothy 3, 12? All who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. 
truth is, I probably do very little of that verse. Skim over it. Attempt to explain it away. Now, I'm not, I'm not saying or admitting this this morning because I'm wanting to send any or all of us on a massive guilt trip. That would be dead easy. Do you know that? It really would be dead easy for me to do that this morning. But it would also be incredibly unhelpful. And I'm certainly not want to stand up here and have a go at any, well, well, I do want to have a go at myself, but that's okay, but I'm not wanting to have a go at anybody else. But as we come to God's word and this text today as Christians, we've got to, at the very least, ask the difficult questions, ask, face up to the very real challenges that lie behind the reason for Peter writing this letter, that Christians will suffer, that Christians should suffer for their faith. And if there is a potential disconnect, then I need to be honest about that. We need to be honest about that. If the greater surprise is that we're not suffering, that I'm not suffering because I belong to Jesus, then I've got to be honest about that. But as I say, at the same time, I do realize there are many Christians in our world today, in our culture today, in our communities today, who do suffer ridicule and rejection because they follow Jesus. And, and there will be people here who would have stood a moment ago as some of you did. Because you have faced recent hassle and persecution for being a Christian at work or at uni or at school or at down at your local sports club or wherever. And so I recognize and I realize that Peter's words that we're going to look at this morning for you for you will be personally and powerfully relevant. At least I pray they will be. So with all that by way of introduction, let's stand together for the public reading of God's heart-searching word. Let's stand together. The text will be on the screen, uh, or if you have a Bible or on a device, please follow. So say this is where we left off last week. Dear friends, do not be surprised at the fiery ordeal that has come on you to test you as though something strange were happening to you, but rejoice in as much as you participate in the sufferings of Christ, so that you may be overjoyed when his glory is revealed. If you are insulted because of the name of Christ, you are blessed, for the spirit of glory and of God rests on you. If you suffer, it should not be as a murderer or thief or any other kind of criminal, or even as a meddler. However, if you suffer as a Christian, do not be ashamed, but praise God that you bear that name. For it is time for judgment to begin with God's household. And if it begins with us, what will the outcome be for those who do not obey the gospel of God? And if it is hard for the righteous to be saved, what will become of the ungodly and the sinner? So then, those who suffer according to God's will should commit themselves to their faithful creator and should continue to do good. Grab a seat. Peter, uh, Peter really cares about these Christians. And so he begins this little section with, Dear friends, or simply beloved as in some versions that you have. You see, Peter's writing from the heart. P P Peter loves these people. He loves them deeply. Peter practices what he preaches. So whenever he writes to people and says, above all, love each other deeply. 
As Peter writes to these Christians, he's just expressing how he feels about them. He loves them. He wants what's best for them. But as he makes the point that suffering or the fiery trial as he refers to it here, as he makes the point that suffering's to be expected and there's nothing strange about it, he also reveals there's a purpose to it. There's a purpose behind it. And whenever you're going through a tough experience, a tough season, a tough situation, knowing that there's some reason for it can be a comfort, can be a helpful perspective. Although, some might argue that the purpose disclosed here isn't entirely comforting. Peter writes, oops, stick the next one on, uh, Mario, for me, would you? Peter writes, that these, that these fiery trials, these fiery ordeals, this suffering comes to you, it comes on you, here's the bit, to test you. You see, there is a point. These trials are not accidental. In fact, when you jump down to verse 19, this suffering occurs, and this is hard, this suffering occurs according to God's will. Now, Peter is not suggesting that God is causing the suffering. That would be weird. But he is making the point that this is not random. This is not outside of God's control. God is using this for your good and for your godliness. As someone has said rather provocatively, God doesn't waste our suffering and neither should we. You see, we suffer for our faith as God tests and refines us. As God discovers the reality of our faith and transforms our character, this is one of the reasons why Peter does talk about these trials as fiery things, because they sift, they purify, they filter our faith. Now, this whole idea is is not a new idea. This is not a new concept for Peter's readers, and for those of you who've been tracking this series, this should not be a new idea or concept for you. Back in the very first chapter, verses six and seven, it says this, next one, Mario Forme, says this, in all this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while you may have had had, had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. And get this, these have come so that the proven genuineness of your faith of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire, may result in praise, glory, and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. You see, suffering for your faith, suffering because you follow Jesus, proves that you are the real deal and chisels away at your character. Can can I say that again? Although the implications of this are frightening. Suffering for your faith, suffering because you follow Jesus, proves you are the real deal and chisels away at your character. So says Peter, don't be surprised when you face Christian suffering because do you know what it shows? It shows God's at work in you. It shows God's at work in you. And for these original readers, this target audience, that must have been a tangible, genuine encouragement and affirmation for them. This reveals that that God is doing a deep work in my life, proving that I am the real deal and slowly transforming my character. 
to become more like Jesus. Which is why he then goes on to offer that shocking thought that instead of surprise, here's how you should react. Rejoice. Rejoice. Now, before we kind of move on to uncover why or how that's possible, how can you rejoice? I need to pause and consider another issue. Because not only is the fact that I'm not suffering the real surprise for me to face up to, is there also a chance, speaking of myself, is there also a chance by not suffering that I am missing out on a deep work of God in my life? Okay, so how can you even contemplate how can you even begin to think about rejoicing in the context of suffering for your faith? Well, says Peter, suffering for your faith, in other words, righteous suffering, if you like, suffering for doing what is right. Do you know what that means? Next slide, please. That means that you participate in Christ's sufferings. Or you share in Christ's righteous suffering. The New Living Translation again puts it like this. Instead, instead of being surprised, because there's nothing strange about this, instead of being surprised, be very glad for these trials make you partners with Christ in his suffering. Now, I know that Christ's sacrifice was unique and once for all. I know that. We all know that. But when you're on the receiving end of hassle and ridicule because of Jesus, do you know what Peter's saying here? You identify with him and his sufferings. You identify with Jesus. And that, for his original readers, his target audience, was an incredible, mind-blowing privilege, which would then enable them to rejoice. And more than that, says Peter, when you share in Christ's sufferings, when you partake in his sufferings, when you partner with him in his sufferings, do you know what? You live with the expectation and the prospect of sharing in Christ's glory. In other words, like Jesus, you suffer now, but like Jesus, future glory awaits. It's an incredible thought. And so the first reason you can rejoice, says Peter, in what you're going through is this, you're identifying with Jesus. You are following the example of Jesus, which is something Peter has been saying time and time again right throughout this letter. But there's more, as if that wasn't enough. There's even more cause for rejoicing in Christian suffering. And in verse 14, Peter gives one, or maybe it's two more reasons. The first is, next slide, please. The first reason is, you are Blessed. Look at verse 14 if you have a copy of God's word in front of it. If you are insulted because of the if, now it's if, if you are insulted because of the name of Christ, you're blessed. I mean, people may insult you, but God blesses you. And here, Peter is clearly drawn on something that Jesus himself said and taught in his famous so-called Sermon on the Mount. We're right at the beginning, as he presents the Beatitudes, Jesus says and teaches this next one, please, Mario. Blessed are you when people insult you. Blessed are you when people persecute you. Blessed are you when people say false things and evil against you because of me. Rejoice, says Jesus. So this is a constant theme of scripture. 
Rejoice, says Jesus, and be glad, because great's your reward in heaven. And what you have here, you get this glimpse of the big picture view of life that the Bible presents. There is more to this life than this. Heaven awaits, eternity awaits. Your inheritance, as, first, as Peter said back in chapter one, your inheritance that is kept in heaven for you can never perish, spoil or fade. That awaits. But in terms of the here and now, in terms of the context of present suffering, get this, you're blessed. You're truly fulfilled. Content. Peace. So although the world may give you a hard time for following Jesus, God honors you. God blesses you. And let's be honest about this. Whose opinion of us is ultimately going to count? Whose opinion of us is really going to matter in the end? But Peter takes this further because not only are you blessed if you're insulted because of Jesus, but next slide, but the spirit of glory and of God resting. You know, sometimes when you do suffer for your faith, there's a tendency to think God's abandoned me. Absolutely not. God is right there with you. In fact, God is resting on you. God is closer than you could ever imagine. And this, by the way, is a reference or kind of harkens back to Isaiah chapter 11, where it says there, a branch of Jesse in other words, an offshoot of David's dad, which is a direct reference to Jesus as it turns out. That person, Jesus, will have the spirit of the Lord, the spirit of wisdom, the spirit of counsel, the spirit of knowledge, the spirit of fear. That person will have that spirit resting on him, which is exactly what transpires with Jesus. And so what Peter's doing here is saying this. See, the same spirit who rested on Jesus, he now rests on you. As you are blessed for suffering and for being insulted because you own the name of Jesus. If, if you're insulted because of Jesus, you're blessed by God. And the spirit who rested on Jesus rests on you. So let me just summarize. Suffering for being a Christian isn't some strange phenomenon. It's not out of the ordinary. It's no big. It's no great surprise. And there's a reason for it. There's a purpose in it. It checks reality. It refines character. Shows God's at work in your life. And instead of resenting it, instead of avoiding it, you should rejoice. Because you identify with Jesus, you share in his sufferings, which also means you get to share in his glory. Suffering now, future glory awaits. Plus, you're blessed beyond your wildest dreams. And the spirit of Jesus, the spirit of glory and of God, is resting on you. So, back to my earlier angst. What am I missing out on? What am I missing out on? Now, I'm not suggesting we go from here and seek suffering. That would also be weird. But rather than avoid suffering for Jesus by keeping my head down and my lips sealed, 
I need to stand up and speak out far more readily, far more willingly, and with a lot less hesitation. But back to the text, just as we finish. Because Peter adds a really interesting additional thought. It's almost an aside. He says, see if you suffer for doing something wrong, suck it up. Words to that effect. See if you suffer for doing something, don't be surprised about that. But if you suffer for being a Christian, in other words, for doing what is right, then you've nothing to be ashamed. Look at verse 15. It's fascinating. Next slide. If you murder someone, says Peter, love this. If you steal from someone, if you get involved in any other criminal activity, then you will suffer abuse from people. And do you know what Peter effectively saying? You deserve to do so. But isn't it really interesting, fascinating, how in this list of off-limit activities, he adds meddling. Like, what's that about? Murder? Like, I'm not going to murder anyone. Don't think so. Steal? Any other criminal activity? It's pretty wide Meddling, prying into other people's affairs, being an interfering nuisance. Peter says, see if you suffer. See if you suffer for being one of those sort of people, you deserve to. But you see if you suffer for belonging to Jesus, there's no shame in that. And so he finishes off this relatively short. I, don't, I, don't, I have no idea why that we aside's there, but it is. Peter finishes off this relatively short but incredibly full section with two final pieces of advice regarding how how you live against this backdrop of hassle. But before I just end with those two pieces of advice, he sounds a solemn warning in verse 17. He says, do you know, see God's judgment? Again, this is sobering stuff at one level. Sorry. Peter says, see God's judgment at the end of time. It's It's gonna begin with us. It's going to begin with the people of God. Which is understood to be a reference to this idea that we're being refined and that we're being purified via suffering for our faith. And what Peter says, you see, if this is hard, if this is hard for us who are being saved, Can you imagine what final judgment is going to be like for those who don't obey the gospel? For the ungodly? For the unsaved? What will become of them? What will become of them? So Peter's last advice to us is this. He says you pass through this refining fire as you pass through suffering for being a Christian, and because you belong to Jesus, here's my final piece of advice, and it's simple, the next slide, there it is. Commit yourself, entrust yourself to your faithful creator and just continue to do good. And again, do you know what Peter's doing here? He is simply reinforcing something he's been saying all along. Follow the example of Jesus. Back in chapter two, he writes, when Jesus suffered, he did not threaten, but he continued entrusting himself to the one who judges justly. And whenever Peter spoke the good news about Jesus in Acts chapter 10, do you know how he referred to Jesus? He said, see this person, this person just went about doing good. And so Peter ends this part of his letter by telling his readers who are suffering for their faith, he says, listen, I want you to just model Jesus. Just commit yourself to your heavenly father and just keep doing good. Next slide. Just keep looking 
to Jesus. And so as we go from here this morning, let me encourage you, last slide, Mario, let me encourage you to not be surprised when you suffer for following Jesus. In fact, rejoice. Do you know why? You're being refined. God's at work in you. Not only that, you're identifying with Jesus. Not only that, you're blessed. Not only that, the spirit of God and of glory, the spirit he rested on Jesus, rests on you. And for those of us, self-included, who struggle to connect with so much of this, may the surprise of not suffering, which is strange, may that encourage us to consider, what are we missing out on? And maybe more importantly, may it force us to reflect on the reason we're missing out.